I, I just love it. And so as Steve said, I go back tomorrow to Australia. And um, my husband will come just a couple days later. He's up with my daughter and is ministering in um, her father-in-law's church this morning. So um, it's been a good time here. Every time, and this has gone on now for years, because uh, we've lived overseas outside of America for 29 years. And um, uh, the last the last service that I do in the States before leaving, I, um, I love to pray with the people in that meeting for this country. And it would be my honor and privilege to hook arms with you for the United States of America. And people already all over the world pray for this country, but to be able to pray in this country and for this country uh, will be just a really a precious thing to me. And, um, and I believe in assignment from the Lord. So that's really the reason. It's not just sentiment. It's, it's uh, what I believe is an assignment. So uh, we're going to look into something today, and let's just prepare by praise. Can we do it? Father, we're so grateful that you have established yourself as faithful, and we judge you as faithful, and one of the things you're faithful to do is give us what we need, our daily bread. We'll need to read the word tomorrow, too. And we'll need to talk to you tomorrow, too. But we're not in tomorrow. We're in this day. And we thank you for the bread today. And we thank you for the nature of this bread today that is uh, seed that will grow and produce in our lives. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for it. Amen. Praise God. Well, one of the one of the things that are um, is true about God is He doesn't come with one name. He isn't many gods, uh, like the Hindus have millions, but we have one God. Uh, but He has many names, and the reason He has many names is the reason why your um, diamonds have many facets, and they're reflective because of those facets. They are brilliant. His names, um, his names um, communicate an aspect of his, his person, his character. He has given us his names so that we, how do you even approach God? He's infinite, he's omnipresent, he's omnipowerful, he's everything, you know, but how do you even, how do you even approach such a being as God? And so he gives us names, and so we can engage based upon that name, because that name makes sense to us, shepherd. Okay, and you can do a whole series on shepherd. He's the life, he's the light, he's the door, he's all these different things. And so you can think, okay, you're that. 
he's not only that one name, but you can engage with him. One of the things that um, Jesus said in an instruction for prayer in Matthew, the ninth chapter, he said, after he looked at all the people, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would give, that he would send labors into his harvest. So one of the names of God is the Lord of the harvest. So you think, okay, of course, he's the Lord of it, but then you think harvest. What is that? And so harvest, uh, we're going to look at that a little bit today, not in depth. We'll kind of, kind of zoom over everything, kind of fly over everything to just get a, a, a broad picture. And I just pray that our, our heart would be stimulated to to look in the Word of God ourselves and to keep keep digging because um, it's so full of treasure. The harvest that Jesus was specifically talking about at that time were, were people, and we sang about it in one of the songs we sang today, that he brought us out of darkness into his light. That is actually a harvest. Now, Steve and I, uh, you know, uh, we were... We were born in the mountains, he in Castle Rock, and I was born a bit higher up in Salida. Uh, we were born in the mountains, but Daddy, when I was eight years old, uh, moved to, eight or nine years old, moved to the plains of Colorado, which only God could have made us leave those mountains. But he did, and so some really rich a really rich part of our growing up was in those plains of Colorado. And the people, uh, the men in our church were farmers, primarily. Farmers and ranchers. And um, they're like your sons. They would wear big belts, you know, and cowboy boots. And they were just lovely people. And um, it was not uncommon because our town was so tiny, just a couple thousand it wasn't, it's not impossible in town to see outside of town, to see pastures, you know. And then coming on into September and October, is it September or even August, there's time of harvest where there would be just trains of combines that would move into our town, through our town. I mean, trains of it. And, um, and they would sweep hundreds and thousands of acres of, of, um, of wheat and all kinds of different, different crops would come in. So when we think, uh, I mean, uh, so harvest makes sense to me. And there is special equipment for certain kinds of crops. And, um, and but I, I looked at it recently uh, and Googled, thank God for Google and, and uh, YouTube, not for all reasons, but for some reasons. And I looked at the, the harvesting process in, in a combine. It's quite complex, and there are different stages of the combine itself, which separates, separates the, the grain or separates that crop from the field. It brings it in. But it is, 
uh, that's only a portion of what a harvest is, is the separation. So us coming in from darkness into light is one stage of harvest. One, just one stage of harvest. Because let's just take wheat, for example. If you were just to take wheat from the field and try to eat it, you'd be hard-pressed to find any enjoyment in it at all. But if you could go through the whole harvesting process, then it comes that wheat comes into a condition that is actually able to be pulverized and made into flour, and then you'll eat a whole plate of rolls, especially if they're hot with butter on them. But you won't try to just chew on wheat. I'm talking about harvested wheat. And so I'd like you to go in your Bible to look at something that, um, that we're going to see about harvest here. And um, I have a lot of notes here, and I, I scrolled down from it. i got to find it. Um, what we want to see is from Malachi the third chapter, Malachi, the third chapter, and verse one says, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord said, uh, then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look so eagerly. This is Malachi 3, verse 1 to 3. Is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. Or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. And the picture that are given here by three different things gives a picture of, of separation of, of dross or separation of filth or dirt from what is good. All right? Let's take this then to the New Testament in Luke, the third chapter, Malachi, the third chapter, was a prophecy about actually John the Baptist and his ministry. Well, John the Baptist did come, and Jesus talked about, about this in, John, in Luke, the third chapter, about his cousin, John the Baptist, and about what his ministry would uh, would affect. It says in verse 4, Luke 3 and verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So we saw those words back in Malachi and now we're seeing them again in Luke here about John the Baptist. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places 
made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And this was about, um, this was John the Baptist's ministry. But this is the one we want to get to that's, that has to do with what we're talking about today. And it's in Matthew, the third chapter. And again, this is about John the Baptist. And starting in verse 11, it says, I will baptize with water those who repent from their sins. John the Baptist is talking about his own ministry. He said, I will baptize with water those who repent from them, their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even, even uh, worthy, not worthy even to be his slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's talking about Jesus. Then he goes on to, to uh, further. He said he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. This is, um, this is all harvesting lingo or description. He will separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So we see in this portion of Scripture, the Holy Spirit and fire. We see a winnowing fan. We see that it will separate the wheat from the chaff. We see a winnowing uh, fork, and we see that he cleans up the threshing area, and he gathers the wheat into the barn, and he burns up the chaff. That is a harvesting process. So sometimes when we've talked about the Lord of the harvest, or we've talked about a great harvest in the end of time, we just see people getting saved and born again and brought into the family of God, brought out from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Jesus sees a whole process of harvesting, which includes doing something with the wheat that has come in. That's us. <laughs> We've come in. Harvesting hasn't finished in your life or in mine. What does harvesting mean? It actually means separation. Another word, a Bible word, is sanctification. Yeah, that's a Bible word. Another Bible word would be consecration. All of these Bible words, where there might be some things unique to each of those words, but basically they mean a separation to something holy and from something contaminated or unholy. It's a process of separation. So let's look at this again. We've been brought in, and, and oh, <laughs> there's no one there. You couldn't do enough good to separate yourself from the kingdom of darkness and bring yourself into the kingdom of light. Jesus saved you. He harvest you. He brought you from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son. But now that you're there, he ain't done. There's some, uh, when we sang the this morning about 
you know, surrendering and I want to be, I want to live for you. I want, I want my life to be pleasing. Well, then probably there have to be some chair that gets taken away. And that doesn't happen in one service, and it doesn't happen with somebody just laying hands on you, and suddenly all the chaff is gone. In this work of sanctification, we are sanctified. We're brought in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But there's an ongoing work of sanctification where uh, the, there's this winnowing fork, things that shake and blow, <laughs> And uh, if you look on YouTube at, the, at a combine, it's really quite amazing and impressing that in one machine, uh, it goes through all these places in the combine that shakes it, pounds it, and, um, and then what blows into the truck that follows the combine is actually the grain, is the kernel the edible part, the usable part. Um, genetics, DNA, environment, exposure to putrid stuff uh, has affected chaff in our life. And the part that isn't is usable. But the part that does still have chaff is, is being worked on by the Lord of the harvest. Aren't you glad he's on, uh, doing an ongoing work in your life? I think it's wonderful. However, harvest can never be just minimized, again, to just getting saved, nor can it just be minimized to an ongoing work of sanctification. It's bigger than that. And because we're going to pray for America, you know we're going to go be going towards nations. Um, but can you put up those pictures? Uh, we're going to start with creation. I want you to see that God, since creation, has the skills to separate things. Okay, let's look at this. Uh, if you put up those pictures. Now, um, there are six days of creation. The seventh day he rested. So, uh, yeah, you can see, and I won't, I won't go. Go to the next one. So, you know, you see day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, and day six. So, six days of amazing creation. And there's different, there's different, uh, different theological approaches. Did he do it in 24-hour periods of time, or were those days actually extended periods of time? We're not even going to plunge into that kind of discussion. That's not the point. We understand, like I like Hebrews, it says, by faith we understand not how he created, not when he created. We just understand that he created. I think all the believers in the whole body of Christ can agree. He created. We may have difference in opinions of, hey, you know, how it happened, when it happened, da, da 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 Let's not break off from one another over the winds and the hows. Let's just hang together on that he did. 
He is the creator of heaven. Okay, so go on to the next picture. Uh, uh, in day four, if you'll look at, um, if you will look at uh, verse four, Genesis one and verse four, um, just yourself. But it says, this is verse one right here, day one. God saw the light. Now, we're not reading the whole account. I'm just lifting these separation verses out for us. God saw the light that it was good. And look at this. Verse 4 of the Holy Bible is the first account of God separating things. It's what he does. He's the Lord of the harvest. He separates things. What did he do? He separated, he divided the light from the darkness. Who can do that? What political party can do that? What celebrity can do that? No one can do that but God. He's God. So put that back up again. He separated the light from the darkness. That was a part of that creative day. Within that, cre he didn't just create light. He also separated the light from the darkness. Say, so well, how did he do that? We don't understand how he did it or when he did it. We understand that he did it. By faith, we believe it. He separated. Go to day, the next day, day two. He did some more. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. So there were waters above and there were waters beneath. Let it divide the waters from the heavens. He did it again. So sometimes in our reading of the creation account, which we've, you know, we read it over and over and over, we can skip this interesting activity of the creator. For him to do what he needed to do on this creation day required separation. Then let's go to day four. Day four, we're, um, we're seeing, I believe it is, Verse 14, if I'm not mistaken. Then God said, day four, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Keep reading. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness, twice within the creative process, there was a division between light and dark. So apparently, before he divided it, there was a mixture. There was some gray. There was some mixture. But when he finished, there was no mixture. I don't know what it sounded like. But something happened. 
and he separated and he did it to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. Now day six, we've got another account of separation within the creation process. And of course, this was the crown of God's creation. God created man, and those are some verses before. And it says, God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which God, the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. Uh, go ahead. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out she was divided from man. So God had made a human that comprised male and female. On this sixth day, sometime within that sixth day, he, he divided woman out of man. It was another division. Who can do that? People are trying to manipulate things um, with, with surgeries and different kinds of things. But God absolutely divided the chromosomes. He did it. So our God is a divider. He's a separator. He's a sanctifier. He's a harvester. He separates things. So sometimes separation is from, um, you know, vile to the holy. But sometimes it is a separation to purpose. Which is interesting. Um, I'm, I'll just re refer to two things. We won't take time to go there. But Paul, he said he was... He was separated from his mother's womb to the purpose that God had him born for. In Acts the 13th chapter, there was a time of prayer that the whole church had, and they fasted and they prayed. And what they came up with, they said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them to do. So in other words... They had been doing wonderful things for the Lord and everything, but there needed to be a separation for purpose. So sometimes harvest is from the vile, from the, um, you know, the dirty or whatever. But sometimes it's just for purpose, okay? He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one who knows how to divide. He does that on a personal level. And I want, I, I just love, you know, Hunter was saying it over, and I, I think I've heard Kim say that it must be something that the Lord has given to your church family to embrace as a value that we are changing. You're changing. And the Lord told me something a long time ago. He said, the fact that I cannot change, and the Bible says that about God, he cannot change, is a guarantee that you and I can. Isn't that wonderful? We can change. 
the person sitting beside you can change. People that are sitting outside of this room can change. Everything else can change. Uh, two or three days ago, I was singing this. I'm going to put it on a, uh, maybe we can do this for Daddy on Marco Polo. I like to sing uh, hymns. I would sing hymns and send them to my parents so they could sing harmony along with it when they'd get up. <laughs> it's funny, and they'd do the same thing. But there's an old song that says, um, Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. You know that song? All may change, but Jesus never. Say never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. That song was written by A.B. Simpson in 1890 or something like that. Boy, did the world change since then. But what has not changed is Jesus. Aren't you glad about that? That's why he's the harvester. Praise the name of the Lord. I love that. Now there are, there are for us uh, a number of different, a, a number of different harvesting tools. I just want to give these to you. We're not going to talk about them today um, uh, in detail at all, but these are from the Bible. Um, the first one is God the Father. And that's Jude the first verse. God the Father is a sanctifier. It says that um, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. The second one is, is the glory, the glory of God. When you're in a meeting or you're in the presence of God in your own home or whatever, and there's a glory, it has a sanctifying effect. It's cool. Exodus, the 29th chapter in verse 43 says, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Your body is a sanctuary. Your, this church family is a, is a sanctuary. The church proper and universal is a sanctuary. What separates us isn't just rules. That'll never do it. What does it is God. God is, this, is the divider. That's why I wanted us to look back at creation. The only one qualified and with skill and ability to, se to separate the third one is faith. Acts the 26th chapter and verse 18. It says, uh, 
that he, we may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. When you trust in God, when you anchor in him in anything, what it does, it has the ability to pull you up. Kind of like uh, anybody water ski in here? Nobody water ski? Okay, good. Thank God I'm back in America where you do ski on water. And um, you, uh, so the boat, pull, you know, you're, you're, in the, you're in the water unless you're jumping off the pier or whatever, but you're in the water and your feet are sticking up, you know, with the skis in front of you and all, and you're going to sit there till you die <laughs> unless something that has power pulls you out. And, and so that is what these sanctifying tools have the ability to do. You're in something. You're not of the water, but you're in it. And what happens when you hang on to that power, and finally you see yourself riding on it and not in it anymore. Uh, let me give, uh, here's the fourth one, is the God of peace. Pretty cool. God of peace. When you experience the peace of God, it separates you from the storm that you may be in. The very God of peace, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, sanctify you holy. I love that one. There's another verse of scripture about that, but we'll we won't take time. Uh, the, the fifth one is the spirit of God. So we have God the Father. Now we have the Holy Spirit himself. And uh, we see in 1 Corinthians, there's quite a few verses of scripture about him as sanctifier. But 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of the Lord. Being a believer, a true Christian, isn't a club. You cannot belong to the family of God except God did something to you and in you and made you his own. He sanctified you. That is so amazing. Uh, and then the one that we talked about, you know, the Holy Ghost Empire. Um, Here's the sixth one, is the word and truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Hebrews 4, 12 says that the word can divide between your soul and your spirit. Nothing else can. The word does that. The body of Jesus we take communion every, we're going to bounce back to this one at the end. The body of Jesus is a sanctifying tool. We use it in communion, but sometimes we just schmooze over it. I believe before Jesus comes again, we're going to get particularly skilled with using the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus as a sanctification tool. 
We'll come back to that one. Um, the blood. Pours the blood. He sanctified us through his blood. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. But I want us to look uh, with a little bit of time that we have here. Uh, I'd like us to look towards another harvest, part of harvest, aspect of harvest. And the reason why are all of these areas of harvest that I, I don't even have time to mention, but they're individual, they're collective as the church. Jesus, it says of him in Ephesians, the fifth chapter concerning the church, he said, I will purify it and I will sanctify. I'm talking about the church. I saw him in our church. I was by, there, by myself. I was just in our church praying one morning. And he was standing about like here. He wasn't in the middle and he wasn't on the platform. He was right here and he was looking out. But I knew he wasn't just looking at our church. He was looking at the church. I knew that. And he had a face executive I had no compulsion or any kind of thing to go up to him. He wasn't, he wasn't like high-fiving it. He wasn't all, you know, loving and all happy. Like, it wasn't that, it wasn't, he was not in that posture. He was very executive, and he was looking out. And it struck fear in me, not fear like a spider or other things that Australia has, but it was like, we should probably respect him. And I, it, it made me do this. I was looking at him. He, he never looked at me. I saw him, and I saw his face. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say on the inside, he's going to have it his way. And I knew he was talking about the church. So, yeah, he's going to, he's working on the church. Aren't you glad? So, guess what? We're not the sanctifier. I think I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to scrub you up. Looks to me like you need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of that. You need to start doing this. We're not the sanctifier. Shut up. He's the sanctifier. Could you have divided the light from the darkness in the beginning? Could you divided the firmament above from the firmament below? Could you divide the, the lights in the heavens? Then leave each other alone. Okay, but here's another harvest. So he's working on us individually. He's working on the church. Um, Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus, it, it's most, the, most of the chapter's in red. Jesus is talking the whole time. And he's telling stories. He's, talk, he's talking in parables. And one of the parables that he talked about was right here, verse 36. Matthew 13, verse 36. Are you guys okay? Okay, keep going then. Matthew 13, 36, it says, Then leaving the crowds outside... Jesus went into the house. So at this point, he's not talking to the whole lot. He's talking to his disciples. 
as disciples. Oh, whoops, 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 whoops. Keep going back up. We got to get the story first. Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 13 and verse 24. Here's another story Jesus told. Here he is talking to the crowd. He's going to explain it to his disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weed, weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. Matthew 13 and verse 27 now. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Full of weeds. Where did they come from? The enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together, look at these next words, until harvest. Until harvest, then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and uh, tie them in bunches and burn them and put uh, the wheat into the barn. In this same chapter, Jesus also gave a parable about a sower that sowed the seed and the soil was our heart. You know that parable. This isn't that parable. He already gave that parable. This is another parable. This is about enemies that sowed tares into this harvest field. Now go back, now go down to verse 36. Jesus left the crowd that he'd been talking to and giving these parables to. Jesus went inside the house and his disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field in this parable isn't the human heart, it's the world. It's the world. It's nations of people. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds of the, uh, uh, are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. Jesus is really plain here. The harvest is the end of the world. And that is where we are careening to. All these harvests are colliding, converging, and collaborating. What he's doing in you individually, what he's doing in this church, what he's doing in his church, what he's going to be doing in the nations is all coming together. It's all coming together. A great big separation. The enemy who planted the weeds in the wheat among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the harvesters in this particular harvest are angels. 
Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be in the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of, of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should probably listen. <laughs> Listen to this. Okay, so basically what, we're, what we want to gather from this is that in every nation, including our beloved nation, this is a fact. There is good, but there is also bad. Indescribable bad. Beautiful good that has blessed the world. And there is also bad that has contaminated the rest of the world. That's our beloved country. What can we do? Kill the weeds. <laughs> Pull them out. Now that leave that to the to the to the Lord of the harvest. What is it we can do? Because in this parable, it's interesting that what he is separating in the end isn't just the good in the nation from the bad in the nation. He's separating to himself people in his kingdom. Till finally, in the end, in all the nations of the world, believers will identify with their eternal identity first. Is that okay with everybody? That you're a part of the, a citizen of the kingdom of God. Are, you, are, are, we, are we okay with that? But in the process, in separating us to himself, it's the biggest blessing for the nations that we're from. Do we want to bless America? We sing, God bless America. Well, how's he going to do that? What exactly, what process is he going to do that by? Well, there, there'd be no way that, I, I mean, I'm not smart enough to know all the ways that he's going to do it, but for sure one way he's going to do it because it's corroborated in the scripture, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old as a type. He uses his people that identify with him to be a blessing in the places they live. So sometime before Jesus comes, we're going to claim Belonging to him first. And in that sanctification to him, we can be, you know, not just a voter. We can be a supernatural conduit of light in the places we live. Are we okay with that? I mean, what has to happen requires something supernatural, 
not just a political party all getting in. We need something that only the harvester can do. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. So, I'd like to just show you one practical thing for us to do. Aren't you thankful for the word that gives us like a, a handle? Okay, so what can we do? Oh, there's heaps of things that we can do. But let's just look at one. How about that? Just one. Let's go to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I love the word. Elsewise, everybody's just up for grabs. You know, do your best. <laughs> Things are getting bad. Hang on. Well, uh, he tells us what to do. Let's look at verse... Uh, Let's look at verse 8. Let's go to verse 8. Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. I, I, I like the, the King James actually better. Another translation's better. It doesn't just say you have light. It says you are light. You are light. Why don't you just lay hands on yourself, identify, say this, I am light. Amen. Yeah. Now, who made you that? Not your mama. Even if she was a believer, a godly woman, da-da-da, and ours was, but our mama did not make us light. Jesus did. The sanctifier did. He brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So then the next part says, so live like it. If you are light, then act like it. <laughs> Verse 9, for this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord and take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Now, if there wasn't anything left in this chapter, we think, okay, our work is cut out for them. We're going to get to exposing. I'm going to start exposing, you know, any darkness I see in you, any darkness I see happening over here, I'm, I'm out to expose it. The Bible just authorized me to expose it. The only thing is probably good to keep reading. So look at verse 13. It says, but their evil intentions will be exposed when light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why it said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will give you light. It is light that exposes, not us, goody two-shoes, exposing evil Ugly shoes. It is not the Christian's responsibility to point out faults. Elsewise, Jesus Christ was an absolute liar in John the third chapter when he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. But I'm commissioning everyone called by my name to be great condemners. 
In fact, I send you into the world to condemn the world. Do everything different than I did. I came to reconcile the world. I send you to damn the world to hell if they don't do things the way you say they should be done. Probably not. Probably not. Probably we won't go there. Let's just tuck under Jesus. Can we just stay? Stay with Jesus. We'll be safe if we stay with Jesus. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He's given unto us a ministry of reconciliation. We're anointed as ministers of this covenant that reconciles people with God. So what does this mean? Light exposes. So we're not to be the great exposers, but we are to be the great dispensers. Not of condemnation and not of condoning and telling everybody Everybody's okay. Everybody's all right. Everybody in this time is in it. That's not it. But what we can do is be light. Light. And we can purposefully dispense light. And the light exposes darkness. There are evil things that are happening in this country, other countries of the world, why? The evil one has planted tares among the wheat. Terrible things. Terrible things. Don't leave it up to the FBI to be the great light. We're the light. Let's do our job. Be the light. And in that bright light... Everything is revealed. We can do that, can't we? Why? Because that's who we are. We don't, have to, we don't have to try to be something we're not. Let's just follow Jesus. Let's walk in the light as he's in the light. And then let's respond to him. And let's expose through light. Hallelujah. Now, one of the ways, I'm going to just say two ways that we can, we can dispense light is just simply through doing what he says to do. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. And we dispense light. Your very presence dispenses and when you get a, a group of people like a church a church comes together it is higher wattage uh, we have individual lights here and there but we also have uh, when we're together it's higher is it wattage or voltage it's both maybe we we just have a brighter light together that's why it's really important that we we uh, cherish being together. We have a bright light. When we come together and worship the Lord, great light is dispensed. Believe that. Believe that. And without going into, uh, uh, it's a whole other teaching, but uh, w another way that we actually become a turbine for energy that... Um, 
that dispenses light is praying in the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Life is light. Jesus said that, or Ada said about Jesus in John the first chapter. In him was life, and life is the light of men. And when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're praying in that life which diffuses light. Believe it. Believe it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I don't know what is all in the future. I don't know what is all in the future. But I know some real, uh, one of the processes of harvesting is shaking. And Hebrew says everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And know that there's, there's shaking, there's vibration, and there's blowing, and there's things that are happening in the world are, are shifting us. Uh, I'll finish with this, this concept about the children of Israel leaving Egypt where they had been planted as a people group for centuries, as slaves, and part of that society. They were part of that society. When the idea of coming out was presented to them, they said, why do you, why would we want to do that? What kind of stupid ideas Moses coming up about the Exodus? When they first heard about Exodus, they didn't want it. They didn't. They didn't even identify as a people. But after a few of the plagues happened, they started, there started being a separation. I didn't get into that, but in Egypt, there started being a separation. In Egypt, there started being a separation between Goshen and between the people of God. Well, there's starting to be a separation. And the, the Jewish people, and I'm about to finish, the Jewish people claimed Egypt. They claimed Egypt. It was, it was the only thing they ever knew. The people of God, it's, it's easy for us to claim our own space here, our own world. The idea of going to heaven, why would we want to do that? What a boring thing, play a harp all the, for eternity, go up on streets of gold. Da, da, da. It's not real. It's not real. It's going to get real. And there is so much more than playing harps and going up on streets of gold. There's a whole life ahead of us. It's pretty exciting. We've got exciting days, and we're, we're coming there in the church, identifying with him, 
and with one another across the nations, around the world. There was a nation called the church. We have dual citizenship. We're physical citizens of our physical nation. But we're spiritual citizens of another place. And since my mama has gone to heaven, the volume is turned up on that other citizenship. It's beautiful. Praise the Lord. <laughs>